Hi, this is Carla Allen, host of School Counseling Opportunities and Professional Engagement, also known as SCOPE. I am a professional school counselor, currently a coordinator of counseling services for my school division and adjunct professor for counselor education at a local university, Virginia Commonwealth. Go Rams! We will be discussing topics relevant to current trends in school counseling and ideas on how to provide support to one another. For questions, comments, or discussion topics, email me at vscaprofdevelopment at gmail.com. Again, that's vscaprofdevelopment at gmail.com. Welcome to Scope. School counselor opportunity and professional engagement scope. From the third floor. I am so honored today to have Dr. Paul Harris here with us for the podcast. Paul is a former VSCA board member and a former ASCA board member. He has done so much work in the school counseling field, so I won't reveal too much of that in the intro. But he's here today to share us his journey and also his latest endeavors in working with males of color and the work he's doing in this space. Welcome to the third floor, Paul Harris. Thanks for having me. It's so good to um, connect with you and to talk to you about all the things that are going on in your life. I know many people have probably heard your name over the years in connection mm-hmm. with you serving on the board for VSCA. And then we were so excited for you when you were on the board for ASCA. So mm-hmm. congratulations on those great achievements. Thanks. I really appreciate your um, coming to us today and spending some time talking to school counselors. So we, we start every podcast with the same question. What is your pathway to becoming a school counselor and uh, what got you to where you are today? Oh my gosh, great question. Great to see you, by the way. Good it's just you. nice to reconnect and talk about the work that's important to school counselors. My pathway, um, gosh, I majored in health and physical education in undergrad, so I always mm-hmm. knew I wanted to go into education and uh, thought I wanted to be in the classroom and in fact enjoyed being in the classroom but in doing that, I also worked with athletes as a part of a sports medicine concentration at UVA and did a lot of one-on-one work with the athletes. And in that space, I realized I loved working with individuals and in small groups. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to figure out how do I combine this educational space with being able to serve the social-emotional needs of students. Right. And so uh, a mentor of mine said, you should think about counselor education. And so I did. And and that's what I shifted to and did my master's at UVA and that, and mm-hmm. the rest has been history. So then you are, um, you got your master's at UVA, so then you mm-hmm. went into school counseling practice? I did. I went into to practice in Newport News originally, um, and then uh, my girlfriend became my fiance, and we moved to D.C. and um, went back to school for my Ph.D., but continued working as a school counselor mm-hmm. in Loudoun County. And right. so that's where I did uh, most of my practitioner work. So then um, after you got your PhD, then mm-hmm. you moved into counselor education? Yeah, so it's a really, I don't know if you call it non-traditional, but I knew I wasn't finished, if you will, right, working right. in school. So after getting my PhD, I actually went back to the school system because I wanted to keep working with students. Mm-hmm. And I did that for a little while longer. Uh, and then I was an adjunct instructor at George Mason, which mm-hmm. was an amazing time of working in the schools and right. teaching um, all and things. all the things. And so at that point, we were starting a family and I couldn't keep up that pace <laughs> of life. And so we shifted 
in 2011 to counselor education fully. Right. Yeah. I did not know that about you, so yeah. I did not realize you were a practicing school counselor for so long. Yeah. I only know yeah. the Paul Harris as the counselor educator, so I love hearing that part of you getting there. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. it means everything um, to have worked with all of those students for those years. I think it makes me a better professor, Exactly honestly. right. Mm-hmm. So then you became, um, you went to University of Virginia, which was your alma mater, yeah. to um, work in the counselor education department. So what are some of the highlights of your time at UVA in that role? Oh my gosh, I loved every, I loved it. I loved the students, I loved the faculty that I worked with, I loved the community. I mean, getting to go back to your alma mater, quite honestly, is just a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, I met my wife there, I met my best friends there. So going back to give back to that space, it was so much more than a job. Um, And teaching, specifically, graduate students in school counseling, there was something about their energy and passion and zeal for this profession that was refreshing. And to be able to work with them to then impact the hundreds of students they Mm -hmm. would impact, Mm -hmm. um, it was was tremendous. And again, to do that in that space that had such meaning. Um, for me and my family already it was um, it was kind of a dream to right. be honest to do that. Right. So I trying to think um, about the first time I remember meeting you, mm-hmm. and I know you had worked with VSCA, and I was <clears throat> newly working with VSCA, but I didn't, I don't think officially met you, meet you until uh, we were at the ASCA conference in Los Angeles. And oh weirdly, with us being from Virginia, mm-hmm. I remember we had all the Virginia people had met to go out to dinner at the ASCA conference. And we were walking back to the hotel, and you and I were walking together. I think that's the first time I had a, a conversation with you, my first real interaction. So, um, and I was like, "Oh, he's on the Husker Board of Directors. I'm having a conversation with him." So it was like one of those uh, moments. But that I think that stood out so much to me because I had shared some things with you, and you kind of had a counseling moment with me just on the walk back. So it, it really stood out in my head. You may not even remember it, but it really stood out in my head that night walking back. And your counselor heart was very evident in that. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, Isn't that something how two people from Virginia have to go to L.A. to connect? Exactly right. (laughs) But sometimes it's nice getting to conferences and It is. That's why I think conferences are so amazing because I met another dear friend, Annie Henry, Uh um, who is a school counseling director, um, a coordinator in another school division. Um, And I met her at ASCA conference. Mm. And she's right up the road two hours away. So uh, that's why I love going to conference. But speaking of that... Um, you were on the ASCA Board of Directors. So talk about your time, about being on the board, and what yeah. that impact felt like for you at the national level. It was great. I learned so much. And, and I'd be remiss not to say that my time on the VSCA board was instrumental in me being able to offer the ASCA board anything. Right. Um, as you know, the VSCA, we are just stocked with talent mm-hmm. and brilliance and passion and energy and to have served in that capacity, first as a counselor ed VP and then as president, um, and to work with the school counselors across the Commonwealth was, it was instrumental in my then being able to go to ASCA and have something to say, right? <laughs> right? And add value to so that space. So what year were you um, president of the VSC Oh, gosh. You know that? It was 2016, 2015, mm-hmm. 2016. I might be off a year or so, but it was around that time. Yeah, um, that's when I first ran for the board. So I think that is the... Around that is that it? Frame, yeah. yeah, and then there was some overlap. <laughs> I wouldn't encourage this, but there was some overlap in my, I think I was past president for VSCA while also serving <laughs> on the ASCA board of directors. Um, and I loved it. There were people from across the country, obviously, who run for this elected position on the board. And we were brought in to 
you know, serve the staff in any way we can to support them, to to be a, a, a gracious accountability mechanism for, for the ASCA staff. And for me, I think it was neat just to see at a national level what policy development looks like mm-hmm. um, to go from legislative day in Virginia to then oh, that's on, right. the, on the Hill, yeah, right? right? Like we yeah. got to go there and talk to politicians on both sides of the aisle. And from a national perspective, I learned a lot. So I'm not even sure what I added <laughs> to the space. I know I gained so much about how the profession moves forward from that level mm-hmm. and the things at that level that allow us at this level to do what we do. So it was it was a great experience for right. me. And I think uh, so many of us, we think, oh, these these ideals are unreachable. This is not something that I can aspire to, to run for the VSCA board or run mm-hmm. for the ASCA board. Mm-hmm. But I mean, here I was elected to the board one time, as mm-hmm. were you, and then you made it to the ASCA board. So it's something that's feasible for everyone. You know, oh I was a gosh. school counselor Absolutely. in a high school, and then I come. Like, oh, Maybe I'll try this. And then mm-hmm. that's how I first got involved with VSA and advocacy. And some of my uh, most memorable times are advocacy days going mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. here to the Virginia Capitol. I will just say um, with the recent win of Jennifer McClellan um, uh-huh. here in the Richmond area to the Senate, we uh, went to advocacy day and she was one of my people that had uh, been signed up for me to go advocate with her. And uh, Christina Tillery and a couple of other counselors mm-hmm. and I got to go meet with Jennifer McClellan, and she was so gracious and wanted to know all about school counselors. Yeah, and had a seat, have a seat in her desk to take a picture with us, with her standing behind us, like we were the important people. And then when she was able to run for Senate and win, I was like, wow, she is a huge voice for us because mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. those times of advocacy. So you know, getting out of your building a little bit and getting out yep. there to advocate and work for the associations are a big deal. You get to meet a lot of people and yeah. you can see the fruits of your labor um, with doing that. Without a doubt. And so I think it's critical too to note like the people in your life who nudged you. Like to your point of mm-hmm. any of us can pursue these paths. For me, that was Tammy Davis. Oh my like, word, Tammy Davis. Like Paul. Yes. Come on. And I'm like, really, Tammy? And she's like, yes, run. And I'm like, Well, Tammy Davis okay. has been a VSCA how many years? I don't even know. She retired last year. Mm-hmm. She used to run the PD, and uh, I was so honored to be able to step into her role once she retired. I spent a year with her transitioning. Mm-hmm. How many, many years she worked oh, for VSCA, I don't even know. I just remember she was the face when I first started going to conferences in the early 2000s. She was the face I always remembered every year checking me in to a conference. That sounds about so right. Yeah. She was yeah. the face of it for so long. Yeah. And again, you're right. So much influence. And that word meant everything because I thought, oh, maybe I can run for the VSCA board. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you know, we just continued to serve. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So um, now I want to move into a different part of the conversation, which is a little bit tougher. There have been a lot of societal changes over the past few years. Mm-hmm. and. During your time at UVA, quite a few things happened culturally, and then mm-hmm. in Charlottesville itself, um, you know, things that impacted the entire country. And those of you um, who aren't aware, and hopefully you are, of what happened in Charlottesville on August 12, 2017, um, you know, there were a lot of things going on in the world and lots of protests happening, mm-hmm. and then unfortunately it arrived in Charlottesville, Virginia while you were there. Um, for those of you who don't know, there were some protests and a violent car attack that resulted in the death of a young woman by the name of Heather Heyer. Um, so everything transcended into Charlottesville. So tell us about your experience during that oh. time and what that felt like. Uh, crazy time, for sure. Uh, very, you know, interestingly enough, we were, my family were, we were in Northern Virginia um, that weekend and actually for an extended period of time. So I was going back and forth a lot. 
So we weren't actually in town when it happened, but mm-hmm. clearly I was there days later to teach. And, um, you know, Charlottesville is a really complex space, uh, as are so many cities across the country. And so for many of us who had been there and been affiliated with the city, weren't so much surprised that it happened, but we were no less appalled that it happened, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, there were challenges and issues that, that were familiar um, to that already persisting in Charlottesville, but this clearly became more of a global mm-hmm. sort of phenomenon, and it was hard. I, I just talked about this yesterday, actually. I was speaking with a group of high school students in Loudoun County, and I talked about how going into the classroom in the fall, there was no syllabus to walk through. Like, there was no, we're going to cover these objectives. There was, where are we? How are we doing? Um, I had students who were literally hurt and physically, mm-hmm. um, I mean, the marks and bruises of the attacks on them. And mm-hmm. then there were other students who, while they may not have held a tiki torch, certainly aligned with that ideology. And we were all sharing the space to process together. Right. So talk uh, about the tiki torch part as for people who may not remember or are not familiar with what happened. Uh, so August 11th and 12th, there was, there were, uh, rallies, Unite the Right rallies that took place on the grounds of the University of Virginia first. And so they were on what is called the lawn at UVA. Mm-hmm. And and so very exposed were these students who live on the lawn. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was no barrier of protection or anything. So very scary, very traumatic for them. Uh, and then there were the rally kind of continued the next day in the city of Charlottesville. And that's where, unfortunately, Heather Heyer lost her life when one of the um, uh, the folks in the rally drove his car at full speed mm-hmm. through through mm-hmm. a crowd and hit a number of people. And Heather, uh, unfortunately, lost her life. And so the tiki torches were part of how they were sort of walking through the lawn. And there was some conflict, physical conflict, with folks who didn't want them doing that. And mm-hmm. some of them were students. Um, yeah. And some of them were in my class. Right. And it was hard. It was hard. And uh, even talking about it actually brings back a lot of the emotion of, of that time. And, and I think that persists in a lot of ways as we continue to promote equity and mm-hmm. access and justice and belonging and inclusion and, um, and doing so in schools at the K-12 level, right? So hopefully prevent some of these more mm-hmm. global atrocities. And, and that hit home. And I was thinking about you during this time, and I think of actually reached out to you to check on you during this time because that was your home. That's where you went to undergrad. Yeah. And that's where you live now. That was your yeah. home gra- home ground where you yeah. want to feel safe. Yeah. And then this was brought into your home yeah. in your own lawn. Yeah. We've had a love-hate relationship, to be honest, with UVA, my wife and I. Right, we'll, uh, we'll get to that next. <laughs> <laughs> because there's so much richness about that space, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the intellectual stimulation and all of the things that we gain in that regard again the friendships and so forth that have been developed and there's some troublesome history that continues mm-hmm. to have impact and influence and so um it's home though right. in all its complexities and all of its stuff it is home and that was that was difficult and i would say as parents it was really difficult to then walk our children mm-hmm. through that um as we walk the downtown mall and and, you know, just saw the different images and the memorials and, and my daughter asking questions about right. what happened here, Daddy, and are they coming back? And mm-hmm. um, I think the, the extent of that trauma um, can't be understated, even for the young children. Mm-hmm. So as school counselors, right, like that impacted right. 
kids who may not have been there physically, but in that small community were no doubt right. impacted. And the far-reaching impact of that that was on the national news. And oh um, to think, yeah. again, this was at a college campus and yeah. people should be safe. Yeah. Uh, we went back a year later to the for the anniversary. Mm-hmm. And um, what stood out to me is going through uh, the Charlottesville Mall area where mm-hmm. it happened. It, there was just chalk paint everywhere, signs, love wins, love matters. And... People were trying to say mm-hmm. we'll win in the long run, and that was so meaningful to me. I just stood there and looked at all of that signage mm-hmm. and what people had left a year later um, in Heather's name because mm-hmm. that's what wins in the long run is that love. Yeah, love will win. Yeah. So um, you know, there's that lasting message in um, her memory. Yeah, and the way that the community came together um, after that was inspiring. Um, from clergy, right, folks of different faiths and walks of life, um, that that was inspiring to see a glimmer of hope for how we might mm-hmm. move forward. Um, and hopefully we can sustain that, right, not right. just in that city but across the country because I think we need it. Well, I'm going to segue into an even more difficult conversation. Yeah. And just so you know, I asked Paul in advance if we could have this conversation <laughs> because it's, I'm sure, not comfortable for him. But if you are to Google Paul's name, um, this story comes up. And I tried it, and it, it mm-hmm. is. This is the story mm-hmm. that comes up when you put Paul Harris into a Google search. But 2020 had oh, so many things happen in 2020. And everyone knows what happened in 2020 with COVID, with Black Lives Matter, with yeah. all the things that were happening. But um, 2020 was really personal for you. So mm-hmm. you were up for tenure that year at UVA, and you were denied tenure. Mm-hmm. Again, at a place where you had grown up. So, can you tell us about that? Share with us what you're comfortable. Yeah, no, happy, happy to share. It. And I'll, I'll approach it even from the perspective of how we train school counselors today to push against the status quo mm-hmm. and to be politically savvy and and to also be very discerning about what battles you fight mm-hmm. and and sort of knowing what hill you're prepared to die on, right? And and what battles maybe you just, you know, you, you navigate in, in, in other ways. Right. And so our tenure with UVA, which for me goes back to 97, right? It's been 25, 26 year relationship with them as a student, alum, and then faculty member. There have been many battles, <laughs> um, many joys, but also battles that you push through, you, you navigate, and again, some politically savvy ways. Um, and this was one that we, as a family, decided th- this won't be one that we sort of put our head down and, right. and mosey on. This will be one that we that we speak up for and loudly. Um, we just felt that the level of egregious behavior was was too much to just let it go. Um, and so uh, we we did what we did in appealing the decision. Um, my wife had written a piece not about the case, but. It was about race in America and just kind of how we're moving forward. And in, in one line in her piece, she mentioned my case, which at that point that became a, a lot more public. Mm-hmm. Colleagues, former students were saying, what do we do? How can we help? And I'm thinking, I don't want to be in the spotlight. I'm just going through this formal appeal process that the university has in place. Uh, but at that point, it was beyond me. And mm-hmm. um, Well, I remember reading there was a hashtag called, it was hashtag black in the ivory. That started oh, yeah. trending yeah. at that time yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, it, it went everywhere. It went everywhere. And, and uh, again, I am not one <laughs> to embrace 
the spotlight in general. So that was uncomfortable, but it was also humbling and inspiring to see how people came out, not just for me, but they came out for what they also perceived to be injustice. And very, Carla, very quickly, it was less about me and more about how this happens, how this happens a lot. So talk about how it happened, because that's a crucial piece of it. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So uh, for those not familiar in academia, if you're on the tenure track, which I was, you know, you, your goal is to someday have a, uh, a contract without term, meaning a job for mm-hmm. life. Uh, it's meant to protect academic freedom so that if you pursue research and uh, intellectual inquiries that, that might be controversial in some way, there's no retribution that the university can take, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's academic freedom to pursue those interests. So tenure is, is critical for that regard. Um, and so I submitted a package outlining my teaching, my research, my service. Um, and mind you, every year there are annual reviews. There was a third-year review, um, and all of them were glowing for me. And so the surprise for me at this point was that at that point it wasn't glowing, which didn't reflect mm-hmm. the other other years of reviews. And so um, in short, that's what happened. It was mm-hmm. more of a we don't think you've sort of... Uh, met the expectations um, uh, of, uh, you know, obtaining tenure. And at that point, I reflected on all of the years where it was said that I was meeting Mm -hmm. the expectations. Mm -hmm. And so to my earlier point, it was hard for me at that point to look away. So I won't drill down into all of the specifics, but there were a lot of details that were in writing that were um, blatantly false. So that was also hard to look away from Mm -hmm. um, that were... Prejudicial in a lot of different ways. Uh, again, very hard to look away from. And so we decided to appeal, not just for me, but for the system that has done this, not mm-hmm. just to me, but to many other faculty of color um, and women um, as well. So we talk about systemic change a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we a lot of times try to do grassroots systemic change, and it's like betting your head against the wall that you can't see a difference but Mm -hmm. I think in your case you were to hopefully impact some systemic change so that people could at least see what was there and what was blatant that Mm -hmm. they weren't looking at before yeah yeah so did your appeal pay off it did it did it was overturned um which rarely if ever happens uh in academia when when someone's denied tenure um but it went through all of the ranks of up to the provost's office and there were a number of different appeal processes. I won't walk through all of that, but uh, on all of those fronts, there was support for my case. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, um, my dean came back and, and recommended me for tenure. That's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, doesn't happen often. And it was less of a win. I mean, yes, it was a win for me and our family. But at that point, it was more about how this process has done this to many others who leave quietly. Mm-hmm. Um, that it should never be done to again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I hope anyways, that the conversation um, continues. I know there were some policy changes at the university. Um, you know, Rome's not built in a day, so there's still a lot of growth to happen at UVA and other institutions, not just there. But, um, but hopefully there's more conversation about how things can go awry um, and how they can go awry in, in ways that really, really disrupt families mm-hmm. and careers. 
So you're not currently there. So I assume you then chose to walk away. I did. So a year, we took a year after we, like, we you know, won tenure. And, and that year was very, as you might imagine, uh, it was full of reflection and full of where do we want to go from here? Do we still feel called here to this space? Because for us, it was a calling to go to Charlottesville. Um, and at the end of that year, we decided we've done, we've done what we were supposed to do here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we feel really good about moving on um, and, and going on to the next thing, which is what we did. Okay. So your story became a national story, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in social media and petitions that were started on your behalf. Yeah. How did this impact uh, your lives? You know, I, we, <laughs> we tried not to, you know, the news cycle, right? It just it kind of right. something's up and then it's down. So we tried not to let who we are and how we are rise and fall on how many times we're being mentioned in the media. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was very important for us. And so did it impact us? Yes, in terms of social media interaction and sort of recognition across other media platforms. The Chronicle had put something out there inside higher ed, had written about it. Local media outlets had interviewed had interviewed me and written about it. But outside of that, we were the same mm-hmm. people who just kind of went about doing what we feel called to do, which for me has always been about helping people discover and deploy their God-given talents, right? Like that's right. been my calling for years. Um, and really, that's just what we kept doing. But uh, but yeah, the national spotlight was what it was. And I think as a person of faith, to be honest, um, my prayer was more, how do we use this season of life to help others? Right? Like, how do we use this platform, right. if you will, to speak not just about Paul Harris, but these larger issues that persist? Um, and that was... That's been incredibly fulfilling, might not be the right word, but a blessing in that I've been able to talk with faculty members at UVA and across the country to whom this happened and was able to walk with them Mm -hmm. through their experience, Um, which is traumatic, by the way. (laughs) Um, But to be able to walk alongside them and them feel like they're not alone, which is often how it feels, was, was, um, again, I, I hate that. The opportunity was there for me to do it, but I'm mm-hmm. grateful that I was able to be someone who could get it. Right. Right? What they were going and through. And you become a part of the history now that you did the work and helped to pave the way for others. Hopefully. So I hope that you acknowledge that Hopefully. your journey led to inspire others. Um, yeah. Which then leads to the, the impetus for your current work. Um, you have transitioned now to a space of providing resources and workshops for educators and in particular, in working with males of color and male athletes. So, yeah. So here, this platform gave you this next stage of your life. So tell us about that. Yeah. So in in this reflection period, we thought about, and I keep saying we. Everything that I do or my wife does, it's it's always like a family conversation. So that's why I'm saying we. Um, we just reflected on where we want to go, what flexibility we want to have. Um, and it was honestly, it was a. It's been a really good uh, kind of clarifying, resetting space in life. And mm-hmm. so, part of that resetting was starting a company called Integrity Matters. Um, and that company is is all about promoting racial equity in K through sixteen educational and athletic institutions. Mm-hmm. And so, whether it's me delivering keynote presentations or doing trainings with districts, 
or school boards even, um, uh, or athletic departments. It's all about promoting racial equity and doing so particularly through social emotional learning. And so it's been fun to kind of pull together mm-hmm. the school counseling experience, the experience in teaching adults, right, and, and bringing it to bear through this, through this company. Um, I continue to teach uh, online. I don't think I'll ever let that go, mm-hmm. but I have transitioned more to teaching online, which allows me more flexibility to do some of these other things mm-hmm. that I'm passionate about. And it's been great. Uh, interacting with people from across the country, um, school counselors primarily, but certainly these other professionals. Um, it's 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 been an honor, and I'm kind of like eagerly excited to see what the future holds. Right at this point. So in the meantime, mm-hmm. your wife wrote an amazing book that is called "This Boy We Made." Yeah. This boy we made, and it's already on several must-read lists. Yeah. Um, how has she encouraged you with this book and with the support that she has given you through all this turmoil? Okay, first of all, she's brilliant. So she's encouraged me <laughs> for life by how brilliant she is. I bring a lot of my thoughts and questions to her, and then I realize just how shallow my thinking was all along. Because I'm like, okay, thank you, babe. So this book was like a labor of love. First of all, she wrote it during the pandemic, which... Mm-hmm. Who writes a book in a pandemic, right? We're Taylor all like, Harris. yeah, Taylor, right? We're like, how do we, what are we doing with life? And we're like, okay, let's come up with a schedule. You go here and I'll do this there. And, and in her time, that's what she did. She mm-hmm. wrote this book documenting and chronicling, um, you know, our story over the last few years with our son and his medical and health and educational issues. Um, so how has it been encouraging? I think for me, it just shows what can be done, right? When you're focused and you're in line with your calling I think she's called to write I really do think that's her (laughs) that's just her space that there's a gifting there um and I think she's encouraged me and sort of reminding me how your life can have so much impact which we know in school counseling Mm -hmm. right but it's neat to see Mm -hmm. it in others as well so, yeah, it's been a joy taking this ride with her. So, again, the name of the book is This Boy We Made, and the author is Taylor Harris. So mm-hmm. if you want to look that up, it's right there on Amazon. If you put it in, it pops right up. So highly I recommend you checking that out as well. So what's next for Paul Harris? <laughs> what's next? Um, so I'm a dad of three children that Taylor and I share, a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 6-year-old. Mm-hmm. So next is maintaining... A lifestyle that allows us to be as present in their lives as we possibly can. Right. And so for me, it looks like continuing with Integrity Matters and consulting and giving talks and trainings. Um, it also looks like me teaching and training future school counselors because that will always be me. Um, and in the near future, uh, it will also look like me uh, re-entering the K-12 space in some very unique Ooh. capacities um, that will allow me to continue doing these other things. Can and you so, say that yet, or is that in the works? Uh, it's kind of in the works. It's in the works, but it's um, I'll be able to bring my school counseling skills to bear. Mm-hmm. I'll say that much, um, though it's not a traditional school counsel role, mm-hmm. but I'll be able to do that that's in exciting. a way that I think I can't think wait serves. to hear about that. So excited about that, and that's that's what's next, being a good so husband So I saw on your uh, website you're also launching an app. Um, what is that? Yeah, so we launched an app a few years back. Uh, I got a grant from the NCAA, mm-hmm. and it was all about helping students, uh, student-athletes in particular, uh, be ready for college and career. Um, the app went to sleep for a little bit, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I've hired a former student, a former high school student of mine, wow. and then UVA student, computer science major, 
um, who's also brilliant, to revive it. And so we're bringing it back now. It'll be um, hopefully launching again in the next month or so. Um, and it's a, kind of a library of resources and bite-sized, theory-driven, evidence-based nuggets of wisdom for student athletes and those who work with them um, to to promote their social-emotional learning, but also their college and career readiness. And uh, so I'm really proud of that because it'll Exciting. be something I think that can be out there even when I'm not there talking about it. So, Paul, I know you're not one to um, promote your own self, so I'm going to do it for you. Um, <laughs> if you would like to connect with Paul, it's paulcharris.com is his mm-hmm. website. Um, you can look on there, the many resources that he has, if you would like to uh, book him for any speaking engagement. So, again, that's paulcharris.com. You're making a face at me because I know you're uncomfortable with that. A little bit, but thank you. Yeah, (laughs) I know that you have lots of good things to share, and I want to give you that opportunity to do so. Um, And again, I did that on my own. That was nothing you wanted me to do. um, I end every podcast with the same um, ending is, what are you reading right now, and what are you doing for your own personal self-care? So, Oh, gosh. Well, I'll start with the latter. I just came from the gym, so that's my self-care. Right. If I'm not there, the day just doesn't go the way that it should. Um, working out, hitting the sauna, uh, monthly massages, like the whole <laughs> wellness plan is just in full swing. And I'm trying not to eat certain things right now, and it's mm-hmm. actually making me feel better so that's been nice like I miss I miss my ribs though and my meat so (laughs) I don't know how long this will go but um what am I reading Uh, you know like I'm reading too much uh too many books at once but the most prominent is a book called um let your light shine and it's by two brothers uh and their friend Andres um um and it's about mindfulness and yoga and how we can facilitate the empowerment of children and so they pilot it through their organization in the city of Baltimore. Um, and they're seeing incredible results with students who have been through a lot of trauma. So school counselors, if you're listening, Let Your Light Shine is probably a really good resource for you. Mm-hmm. I'll be talking about it with the authors, actually, in Charlottesville on March 3rd. Oh, exciting. I'll be moderating a conversation with them. And so I'm finishing it up now, and it's that's that's been a gift. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So, uh, Paul, I can't thank you enough for sharing your story with us today because when people share their stories, it helps us in our own journey and um, helps us to learn more about each other. So I know that you shared some tough things with us today. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much and for your work for uh, the many, many years you've dedicated to school counseling and volunteering and serving others. So I can't thank you enough for that and for being on my podcast. Thank you, Carla. It's been a gift. Thank you. And again, if you want to reach Paul, it's um, paulcharris.com. Thank you, and um, let us know what you need. That's vscaprofdevelopment at gmail.com.